Business Matters in association with Letterkenny IT's Faculty of Business. Applications are now open for the highly regarded Masters in Leadership and Innovation in the Public Sector. Also a Masters in Governance, Compliance and Data Protection in Financial Services. And a Certificate in Online Dispute Management. Visit lyit.ie for more information. I'm Kieran O'Donnell. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is Letterkenny native Ken Houston, founder of Unihacker, an online support program offering a suite of courses designed to boost grades and provide university students with the essential skills necessary for successful learning in higher education. Ken has recently returned home to Donegal after almost 10 years teaching at Webster University in Thailand, where he held the position of Head of Department and Programs Manager. He served in the Irish Army for 13 years before deciding to embark on third-level studies in 2003. Since then, Ken has accumulated extensive knowledge of what students get right and get wrong when they start their education journey. Ken, you're very welcome to Business Matters. Thank you, Ken. Good to be here. Ken, uh, you've set up a new business, uh, Unihacker. Why Unihacker and why now? Okay, well, uh, I just spent the last nine and a half years in Asia teaching in a university. Um, I, a small liberal arts college, U.S., Institution set up an extended campus in Asia, and we had uh, over sixty different nationalities at that university. Uh, a few hundred students, which is pretty standard for a liberal arts college. Um, and I had maybe regularly, I would have no more than twenty-five students in a class, and I would have students from maybe fifteen different countries, uh, and and many of those students claiming two nationalities. You know, so it's very very diverse coming from a whole range of backgrounds. I've taught Americans, British, European, Asian, uh, across the entire spectrum, as it were. And what I noticed was that a lot of students are not really ready for university in the academic sense, quite apart from the whole issue of moving away from home for the first time, um, you know, being independent and, and all of that. What I noticed is that, you know, the the, the requirements of completing university level study is difficult. Now, they, if they eventually all do, and I think there are various reasons why, why some people struggle more than others. But what I, what I found was that bearing in mind that people are coming from very different systems, they're coming from international universities, they're coming from international uh, high schools with very, very good high standards and you know reputable institutions, and they're coming then from state institutions, state school systems in, in various contexts. A lot of them, the vast majority of them, in fact, second language speakers of English. So they're doing their degree in their second language, not their first, which I've always been an admirer of, of students who did that. You know, my two languages are English and sarcasm. So so then they, they come here then and even, and, and what was really striking actually was even the students from English-speaking countries, particularly the United States, they really struggle with some of the core assignments that they're expected to, to undertake at university. And over the course of time, not only teaching, but also running programs, because I was ahead of department there as well, um, I sort of came to the conclusion that there is a little bit of a gap between what students learn in high school and what they're expected to be able to do in university. Because when they get to university, a lot of tutors just don't have the time to mentor young people the way that they're expected to be mentored in high school. Okay, There's a lot less contact time. There's a lot more expectation of independent learning. 
and basic things like uh, uh, you know constructing an argument over an extended few thousand word paper, whatever. That's that they they don't get that they're not they're they're no as I say this is not I'm not uh, laying this at the door of the leaving cert because I didn't teach any students who came through the leaving cert system I came I taught students who came through other systems so it may not be a criticism that's applicable to the leaving cert system but we can talk about that later on um, but what I found was when students came to me about trying to resolve their issues the the rudiments of putting together an argument, putting together, doing research, what they're supposed to do at university, isn't there. So I've sort of identified a whole range of skill sets that students need for university to make their passage through, in the academic sense at least, a little bit easier. And that's the function of UniHacker is to, to upskill students for university learning. So talk to me about UniHacker and the services it provides. Right. So what UniHacker is is just launched. So there's not all of the courses yet are on stream. In fact, there's only a, a couple. One course we have at the moment people might be interested in is, is the 10 mistakes that students make on term papers. Term paper is sort of the the one of the core assessment exercises in university. Um, it's an independent researched take-home project that they do over an extended period of time they submit and they're supposed to do research on a topic and it might range somewhere between two to four or five thousand words in length supposed to have references and all of that a lot of students are not really up to speed on that why is that Ken? Uh, I, I think a lot of high school learning and again subtracting anything about the leave insert here and, and our system because I've been out of it for quite a while um, a lot of high school learning is textbook based and it's based really on the lower end of Bloom's taxonomy, which is memorization, knowing the facts, being able to put down the content. Uh, you know, and I'll just give you a typical example of what might happen in, in a university course is students will be assigned a, a paper. They'll be given a general prompt of a question, uh, you know, discuss this. And they'll just be, it'll be a blank page. And then the rabbit in the headlights, where do I go? What do I do? Um, how do I research this and what when I'm putting together an argument what, what does that mean what does this tutor mean by analyze because a lot of this we take for granted especially people who've gone through grad school people who've gone through PhD programs and all the rest of it they come out the far side they expect the students to be able to get up to speed on that as they did uh, and a lot of them just aren't able to do that and I, I don't know the real reason why that is there. I know that a lot of the U.S. students, for example, there's a huge emphasis on multiple choice questions, which is great for understanding the knowledge and being able to identify the right answer. But in actually preparing and scripting out your own argument in relation to something, that's not really being trained unless they go on something like the AP program, the advanced placement program or they come through the International Baccalaureate. Students I've had from the International Baccalaureate, probably the best trained for university-level learning. But the rest are, are not really there. Um, I know you carried out uh, a survey recently, Ken, in relation to the, the field you're looking after. What results did that uh, bring you back? Um, yeah, I, I think the big thing that I got from that was students have problems with time management. Because I think a combination of uh, especially if they're coming straight out of high school, which I didn't, by the way. Uh, but students coming straight out of high school, they tend to see university as another extension of high school or secondary school. And it isn't. The tutors are not going to stand over you waiting for you to 
to, to, to do this. They're not going to check your homework. They're not going to. That doesn't happen. You're given a deadline. You're given a task, and you're expected to deliver. And the gap between the the, the proposed exercise, the assignment, and the delivery, the contact time is minimal at university. In fact, some of the bigger universities, you will not engage directly with your course tutor. Um, you'll find that you know, unless you make an appointment to go and see them, you'll see them in the lecture hall. You might see them in the seminar room uh, later on to, to you know ask a few questions or whatever, but that's basically it. You don't have that day-to-day contact. Um, and that's the thing. What, what students are doing is they procrastinate. They leave it, they leave it, they leave it, and then 48 hours, 24 hours before the deadline, and they sit down then and they assemble this entity of what we refer to as the term paper, and they submit it, and then they wonder then why they get a C grade or a B grade or whatever. They can't get that A grade. Uh, and we see that on our side, on our side of the fence. And I was on both sides of the fence because I spent seven years as a student uh, and then uh, and then went in straight and then to, to academic uh, teaching. So that's that the big thing is is time management, and a lot of them are just struggling with the whole concept of independent argumentation, especially in the the softer subjects. With the STEM subjects, it's not such a big issue because they simply have to know the stuff. Um, but I don't teach STEM, so I I, I don't know uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, my my subject areas are human sciences. Um, so. They're the two big time management and and carrying out the tasks. Another area that you focus on, Ken, is mistakes made on term papers. Can you talk to me a wee bit more about that? Sure. Uh, This comes down to the mechanics of the term paper itself. Um, And and I go through them in detail in this free course that I'm offering at the moment. Um, For example, you know, spell checker. I mean, you know. Bill Gates spent a lot of money developing spell checker on MS Word. It's amazing how many students don't use the spell checker. Um, revising through for syntax, for clarity of expression, paragraphing, all of that. But then it goes deeper then into things like um, poor analysis, which is something that students really struggle with because they don't, unless they're in, in uh, I say this with a leave insert in mind, unless they're in the higher level subjects, the demands of analysis are not really there as much. The the question of producing a proper bibliography, um, per argument, because one of the things about a term paper is that you're supposed to argue a point. It's a bit like an opinion piece in a newspaper. You're, you're supposed to make a point. I mean, a lot of students don't do that. They simply assemble facts and, and then they just sort of present them and then that's it, you know, and the, the paper falls off a cliff at the end and nobody really knows why they're, what, whether, what it is they're reading, what point is, is being made. The students struggle with opinion forming. I found that in, in Asia actually quite a lot um, because, you know, without being essentialist about it, there is a, there is a, a tendency among quite a lot of Asian students to defer to the teacher's opinion. Whereas I think more in, in the West, we, I hope, I would hope we do, uh, although it's not always evident, we, we, we should be telling our students to, to, to engage with the text, to engage with subject matter and form their opinion on it uh, and, and offer an argument of some kind. Now, when, they, when, when the students come through the, and they understand that, especially the students who've come from that other system where it's very much deferring to the teacher who is the right person, the teacher speaks the truth kind of thing, uh, we, we, we would discourage that. Certainly in our liberal arts institution, we, we would discourage that with saying, no, you engage with 
with uh, other scholarship, you think about things, you reflect on things, and you. It's not so difficult in my subject area, politics, uh, international politics, international affairs, because people can be quite opinionated anyway. Um, but it's required in all subjects. Uh, even the STEM subjects. I mean, uh, you know, there's no arguing over mathematics, but at the same time, there is, you know, there are different approaches to, to things. Um, and I think students sh- should, and we did try and encourage them. What I want students to learn from from this is to is to start developing their own. And and there's only one way, real way to do that, and that's the one area that I think the students could easily rectify, but it requires a little bit of work. They need to read. They need to engage with the material. And very often, students are trying to produce work that's based on very, very thin Wikipedia-level reading of things, and that's not really where your top grade is going to be found. It's going to be found when you engage with quality scholarship and quality um, research. And and understanding the research process, understanding the university system uh, is another important element of this. To go back to that point about students leaving high school and going into university, university is not high school. It performs a very, very different function, and sometimes that's not really appreciated by by people because they don't need to. They, they see university as a gateway to a professional career, which is great, which is true. But at the same time, it's also a very particular culture. Uh, academia is about scholarship. It's about research. And a lot of the professional careers that will be available in the future don't even exist today. Um, and a lot of the peop- jobs that people are doing now are going to be automated in the future there is I mean the extent to which that happens is open for debate but the fact that it's happening is not so people are going to have to skill up and and what I remember Mark Cuban you you may have heard of Mark Cuban he's a famous American venture capitalist he was asked one time in an interview what do you think students should do at university should they do finance accounting he said no do a liberal arts degree because you're going to need to be a lateral thinker we, we can't we can't prepare people for what we don't know. We don't know the impact that technology is having. We don't even know the impact of the pandemic yet, fully, uh, and the, the the change that that's going to wreak on on work practices and the jobs that people are going to do. I mean, there are jobs, you know, incredibly innovative directions in in business and entrepreneurship now that are going to require very different skill sets. We need agile thinkers and people who are able to think independently, do their own research and do it properly, are going to be at an advantage. Ken, you mentioned your, your seven years uh, at higher education. Can you talk to me about that time? Sure, well, I'll go back a little bit, just uh, because I wasn't quite out of my old profession when I started my new journey, as it were. Um, I came back, uh, I was in the army at the time, and I came back from Lebanon in late 2000. Uh, and that would, that would, as it turned out, that would be my last trip to, to the Middle East and I enrolled in the Open University, some people might know, you know, they might have heard of that and uh, I started doing a course on uh, humanities, it was a foundational course and What was the attraction uh, about that? Yeah, I think at that point uh, I was 12 years in the army well, it was actually 10 years in the army in 2000 but, you know, it would take another couple of years for me to actually leave um, I think for me the game was up at that point. Uh, I, I was I wanted to move on. I mean I don't regret joining the army. It was a great experience that stood to me, and, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit about you know that leaving 
leaving a career after 10 years and, and going and becoming a student again. But I joined the army when I was 17. I was still a kid, really. Um, and then when I, by the time I decided to leave, I think I knew I wanted to do something different. I wasn't prepared to wait to get to the, the, the end of the, the army career before I started something else. And uh, there were other factors, too. I met my very wonderful wife uh, uh, while I was on my Open University course. We, we did a... We did a week summer school because Open University is home-based learning. You, you do it yourself. They send you the stuff in a package and you go through the material and you write in the assignments. Did you find it difficult to go back to the books at that stage? Uh, I enjoyed it. It was difficult, but I did enjoy it. I knew that this, I wanted to go down this road. This is And you had a graph of writing as well? I, I did. I sort of never really lost that. I mean, I was always a bit of a scribbler, you know, writing letters to newspapers and, and all that kind of thing. I was interested in different subjects. And, and you and I met many times, and I was out wandering around the country looking at ancient monuments and writing articles on that and, and all of that. So I never really lost that bug, and maybe that's what stood to me. And then, you know, I met Emma, and, and you know, uh, we, we, we began living together in 2001, and she moved over from Germany. Um, to, to, to join me here and I think that the, the game changer for me was I went back to work in 2001 after a couple of weeks break while Emma moved over and then I got hit with joining instructions to go to the Curra because the, it was after the 9-11 there was the anthrax scare as well do you remember there was the whole anthrax thing and I got sent to the Curra to do a chemical warfare defence course so I was down in the Curra for a month wearing a gas mask and all of that type of thing. And I think in long journeys home and from, from the Curra, <clears throat> I sort of reconciled myself to the fact that this is not really where I want to keep going. I want to do something different. And with uh, Emma's encouragement and invaluable support and everything else, I moved from Open University. I went and investigated starting a full-time program at Ulster University, and I went up to Coleraine. Started there took my credits over and went on to do um, finish my undergrad degree in 2004 and straight on to the master's program. There was a plan that I was going to do a, a teaching diploma and go into teaching, just high school teaching. But I, I, to, to everyone's shock, not least my own, I got a first class honours degree and the tutors in Coleraine said, what are you going to do with that? Because it's you know it's, it's it's a rare thing, and I said, well, I'm planning to go into teaching. Well, why don't you teach at university? Why don't you go and do a graduate program and become a lecturer instead? And that sort of caught my attention. Okay, that's interesting. So then I did a, an MA in uh, McGee Campus in conflict studies, which I don't think that's there now these days. I think it's moved back to Jordanstown. And straight off that, then I got onto the the graduate program to do PhD so it was literally straight all the way through there was a, lo there was a lot of learning there was time. it was a very steep learning curve uh, I went from grunt soldier to straight into you know looking at term papers exams reading up on things uh, all of that it was a big contrast it's a huge contrast yeah I mean th th there were some links retained not so much in the undergrad but the masters program which was in conflict studies I was sort of able to draw a little bit. I did my my master's thesis on the UNIFIL mission in Lebanon, which I'd participated in. How many uh, tours uh, did you take part in, Ken? Three. Three tours. Uh, 91, which was my first trip. I was 18. Uh, and I finished up in 
my last trip, which was in 2000, which was a very important trip, actually. It was when the Israelis withdrew from South Lebanon. I was only on the ground about a month when that happened, and it was quite a, it was quite a precarious time in, in South Lebanon um, because it was very unstable. So I came out then with that, and when I went on to do my master's program, then I thought it would be interesting to do an actual study on the UNIFIL mission. And I learned a lot on the, on, on the, on the degree program about the events that I had actually gone through. I didn't understand them at the time, you know. Uh, there were things that were happening that I didn't really understand. It was only when I went and researched it as part of my master's thesis that I said, oh, that's why that happened. You know, and then I went on from there. Then to I uh, applied then to to the PhD program uh, at Ulster and completed that. And I also managed to do a, a mediation diploma at UCD as well. Um, uh, in in the meantime, so I managed to shoe in another qualification as well. I'm a bit of bit of a diploma hound to some extent, I suppose. So tell me again, when did you uh, make the decision to, to move to Thailand? Ah, well, uh, that was not really a, a choice as such because, um, well, well, let me put it this way. It's 2008. I'm just coming up to the end of my PhD. I'm writing it up and I'm preparing to submit it. Lehman's Brothers collapses. The world's economy goes into free fall. And before my eyes, the entire higher ed sector is the research funding for a lot of projects is gutted. Okay, and suddenly there's the, the the you know the positions are not as available as as they were. So I sort of came into the market. I, I defended in two thousand and nine. I finally graduated in in that December two thousand and nine. But by the time I actually got my PhD and got out, there was very little there for me to do. For very little for me to 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 hang on to as far as a potential career path was concerned. So I started looking abroad. And I, I, you know, I was keen. I, I looked at it, the United States, but that's very much a closed market, and it's got even worse since then. Um, so I started looking at English language universities in Asia, and you know, this university in Thailand kept popping up, and they were looking for someone to teach international politics. I applied, and lo and behold, I went to Thailand in, 2000, in May two thousand and twelve. So I was just turning forty, and I land in Asia uh, uh, for the. Well, I'd been to Thailand briefly on holiday, but this is my first time going to live abroad as such. Um, and I'm handed then I'm handed responsibility for the the undergraduate program, and then short time after that, uh, after my family joined me out there, um, I assume I had a department position. So then I get an insight into how programs are actually run, not just teaching courses, you know. And there we'll take a break. Business Matters in association with Letterkenny IT's Faculty of Business. Applications are now open for the highly regarded Masters in Leadership and Innovation in the Public Sector. Also a Masters in Governance, Compliance and Data Protection in Financial Services. And a Certificate in Online Dispute Management. Visit lyit.ie for more information. You're welcome back. Before the break, Ken talked about his decision to move to Thailand. Had you a plan at that stage for how long you were going to stay? Not really. Uh, we we thought a few years until things picked up again, and I kept an eye on the market back here. Uh, but unfortunately, no, nothing really um, panned out in, in that regard. So I ended up staying there, and I ended up staying there for nine years. And really, it was the pandemic that that 
pulled the pin. A sort of an unfortunate comedy of errors, really. I, I get. I, leave grad school and I'm walking into the financial crisis and then I you know I'm I'm on the far side of nearly a decade of of teaching in Asia and the pandemic comes along and 85% of our students in my university were coming from outside Thailand and when the pandemic hit Thailand imposed a, a very strict quarantine so effectively 85% of our student cohort disappeared uh, and and we weren't sustainable at that point so the headquarters in St. Louis made the regrettable decision uh, last year to uh, to to close down that extended campus. Uh, where there was a teach out period, so I was there teaching the remaining students who were there, uh, and I arrived home last last August. Had the pandemic uh, not happened, do you think you still would be there, or had you sort of ambition and hopes to maybe come back anyway fairly soon? Uh, it would. It was very hard to leave the beach. And and the lifestyle that you had out there. I mean, you know, Thailand has its problems, and and you know, there's no denying that it's it's not it's not politically as stable as our, our own part of the world. But at the same time, as somebody with a you know fairly decent salary and, and a decent lifestyle out there, it was it was very comfortable. It was you know. So the short answer to your question is, I'm not sure I'd be home, Kieran, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. So the next question, Kieran, is how have you adapted uh, since you came back? With great difficulty. Uh, I'm wearing a lot more clothes than I'd like. Uh, I'm not wearing shorts and sandals anymore. Um, you know, there's all kinds of adaptions. I mean, but home is home at the end of the day. I spent 40 years here with occasional trips overseas to Lebanon. Um, so it's not really a... It's not really a big change, you know. Did you, have you noticed much of a change uh, in those nine years or so that you were away when you went away initially since you returned now? I suppose there's little things at the start, you know, the, the, you know, the infusion of technology into things, which we'd already gotten used to in Asia anyway. I mean, we, we were over there 2012. We were already using QR codes and, and everything was very, made very easy in that regard. It was very convenient. I come back here and that's sort of taken off here as well and it's done, it's done you know, it's, it's moved in that direction. But, and of course you see the differences in, in certain amount of development, you know, in the town and all the rest of it. And it, it is good to be back. It's good to see people again, not least yourself and everybody else and going into familiar places. But the pandemic has sort of put a damper on it because you've not been able to move around. Uh, as much and even you know sort of restrictions on interaction in this unprecedented time that we're living in um, but no I'm back now and I, I think it's it's uh, time now to do this um, so the, the Houston name is, has been associated with business in Derrick for many years Ken so I suppose ultimately it was no major surprise that you decided to sort of set up and go 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 solo a bit of a surprise to me to some extent because um, yeah I mean you know my brilliant sister and all the rest of it I'm sure most people who listen to this will probably know her already uh, I've been salaried my whole life uh, you know and I the thing is like I, I found even as a head of department even though you're within an institution I liked having some latitude I liked taking the initiative um, my philosophy on I suppose running a department or a program or running anything is if it isn't explicitly forbidden, then try it, you know, uh, do it. Because unless I'm, you know, it's, it's the old adage, don't don't ask for permission, beg for forgiveness instead, you know. And I sort of took that attitude out there that if it wasn't explicitly prohibited, I went and did it and, and took the initiative and tried to drive the program. So I suppose there's some elements of that there. 
But, you know, this is a lot riskier because there's no salary at the end of the month. Um, and that's that's obviously going to be a big change and challenge. And uh, But, yeah. You mentioned your sister, obviously, uh, Annette Houston, uh, who heads up FM uh, cleaning services. Mm-hmm. Um, that's taken a lot of work on a family business and uh, as an organisation that you were very close to in the early stages, Ken. I, I was a bit. I mean, I, I was useful in so far as I, I could help clean. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't really think of myself as a business acumen type person, as that wasn't really. Uh, and and I, I'm too much of a nerd, you know, to get into the nitty gritty on those things. Uh, and and I'd be pretty. I imagine I'd be a bit of a liability to Annette in, in her business uh, because it's there's a lot of moving parts. It's very complex. There's a huge amount to think about. And um, and she's you know well, well admittedly she's my sister, but. She's quite exceptional in that regard. She's a very, very tough co- and a good mentor. Uh, a good mentor. A good mentor for anyone, not just me. If if she can manage a business through multiple recessions and difficulties and pandemics and everything else, then I think that's what, what she's learning and what she's grown to learn herself over the years. And she took that business over. She was quite young too. Um, you know, so... Uh, if she doesn't know it, it's not really worth knowing at this point. Um, Would she, she be a source of inspiration to you, Ken? Now you come of course, back? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of sources of inspiration too. I mean, uh, not least my better half, who who sort of who didn't sort of but did support me through all of the transitions and all of that. You know, so we're hoping now that with with UniHacker that I can provide this service and. Um, get more courses on stream. They're they're paid courses. There people are going to have to, but there'll be a few free seminars. And just you know, just while I'm here, I will be. The CAO applications are going in now in the next few weeks, months, a month or so. I think it's the first of March, or is it the end of March? I think it's the first of March. So I'm planning to to run an online seminar that'll be open for everyone to to join. I haven't fixed the date for that yet but I'll certainly be fixing the date for that soon Uh, it'll be announced on the Facebook page and um, it'll just give people an insight you know especially school leavers I mean the target audience here is divided a little bit if I can just talk about that a little bit well it's in my head there are the students who are in university who you know require a little bit of help and training in in getting better at, at their assignments but there's also the school leavers who are about to go to university uh, and who are not entirely sure what they're getting into. They may have had some older siblings who've gone through it, but very often you find that the familiarity that they have with it isn't really translated into, you know, there's this practical side of it, getting accommodation, dealing with the uh, some aspects of, of moving to where the university is if it happens to be far away or whatever. Um, but the actual mechanics of the academic side of it um, and what, the, the, I suppose, the culture, to go back to that again, the culture of academia, um, and, and getting used to that and why it's important for you to know what it is I mean you might think well I don't really care about the culture of academia because I'm just going there to do my degree and then go well yes you are but getting your degree you need to understand what it is you're getting into and, and what kind of entity you're going through um, and I think that's important and that's that's I'll offer this free seminar in, in, in a month or two um, just to give students a better idea of the various things that they need to account for when they do go, I I did this at my old institution, my old university, uh, as a 
as an administrator, I briefed students on academic orientation. They got orientation. They, they, they found out where the library was and all of that kind of thing and, you know, the type of thing to do and things to sign up for. But I felt as well, once I started, once I was there a little while, I felt too that students really need a talk on what it is you're expected to do at university because they're not they're still in high school mode they're still high school students a lot of them in mentality and in, in approach uh, and they're not they're not developing that independence that they need to make a success of their university education because the undergrad is important for one primary reason it's not about your job it's about your master's program it's about getting on the graduate program that's what will distinguish you from other applicants and you know for employability and things like that so it's really important that students take it seriously from the start and I think on reflection I think you know quite a lot of students did take that on board and even from our very small liberal arts institution we had young people go off to Oxford Cambridge um, doing PhD programs here and there so you know they 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 do take it seriously and then they, they, they take on board what I say can you mention the CEO applications? Have you have you on the leaving shirt? Obviously, you, you, it's an area that you will be, I suppose, paying much more attention to now, seeing that you're back and you've, this business is up and running. Mm. What is your view of the leaving shirt, and do you think it's sort of maybe reached its end of its, uh, end of its term? Well, I know that this is, this is a hugely controversial subject, and I, I don't want to. I suppose I don't want to alienate people, but I mean, as it happens, when I was doing one of my courses recently, my education training courses, I, I happened to do some background research on Leaving Cert. I did my Leaving Cert in 1989, which is a lifetime ago for a lot of people. Um, and it was very different back then. So I, I did a thing then where I contrasted the Leaving Cert back then with my own, uh, back to my Leaving Cert back then to uh, the Leaving Cert now. And there has been some there have been some reforms. I can see that there's been some significant changes here and there. There's the in, the introduction of project-based work as well, which I think is good. Um, having looked at some of the, the exam papers, I, I noticed a, a slight move away to some extent in some subjects that would normally have it of extended writing, extended essay writing. There is a tendency to go for shorter answers. And I worry that that will certainly test students knowledge but the skills and I could be speaking out of turn here because I say I've been away for a long time so you know apologies if, if, I, if I've come up. I'm basing this based on, on the past papers that I've seen recently um, I see a slight move away from extended essay to to shorter answers um, and I suppose there's there's reasons for that I do like the this, the project uh, element of it and the fact that students have to for example you know deal with a particular prompt, they're given a source or some sort of a text or whatever, and they have to do uh, a, some sort of a project based on that. I haven't had a chance to go look at the syllabus in any great depth, so I can't really offer a huge amount of comment. I mean, I would say, broadly speaking, I think it's okay. It's, I mean, look, we do well on the PISA scale. Uh, the international PISA rankings were up there and close to or in the top 10. We're certainly ahead of other major Economies. I mean, the United States is down in the mid-20s, I think. So I don't think we're doing something right. Uh, and I know I've heard, you know, some sort of emotive comments from some business leaders about blowing up the Leave Insert a few years back. And there was somebody who was a major CEO said we should just blow up the Leave Insert. I'd be more of a, a social engineer mentality, change it piecemeal. Um, 
if if changes are required. Now, certainly, you know, we, we always have to reform how we how we assess our kids at the end of their um, high school cycle. And and it may be that Irish kids having gone through the leave insert are better prepared for university than kids in other countries because there is still that element of extended writing and independent thinking and you know argumentation and things like that for various subjects. For the other subjects like you know the STEM subjects, they, they need to know it and and that has to be tested and that's fair enough. Ken, you mentioned business leaders and uh, and we've also mentioned uh, how big of an impact that uh, your sister Annette and the success of her business uh, has had maybe on, on your own uh, decision to come back again. Uh, is there a person in business that you admire most? Um, it's a difficult one uh, because I'm not impressed by huge profits. <laughs> Let's put it that way, because you know, I mean, fair enough. It's I know that's why business is is done. It's for us. Why I'm doing it is to, is to earn a living and all the rest of it. Um, but I, I I admire businesses, and I can't really. There is I can't remember his name now. There was a guy who ran, uh, I think it was a credit card company in the United States, and he paid his workers above the 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 average wage. And he got a lot more productivity out of them. I mean, there were several articles about this. Contrast that with the the Bessos style of you know make it absolutely impossible for people to to unionize, and you know make it difficult for people to work and all the rest of it. Uh, you know wh- what I'm getting on the media, obviously, and and various practices at at his at his uh, storehouses and all the rest of it. I think. Human capital is incredibly important. So I admire any company that values human capital um, and sees... Because I've seen on the other side when when people's... Uh, especially in my own recent experience, I've seen where what you might refer to as the little guy in the business, the person who's on the shop floor or the person who's in that corner office, they actually do perform important tasks. And I've seen the consequences of upper management and upper leadership dismissing their importance and then something happens and the person in the position didn't warn the people about what was coming because they didn't have any loyalty anymore and they didn't care so you know uh, that's that's important that that element of human capital because it's very hard to put a dollar value on that to speak pl- plainly about it and i think it's important that as i say I'm a sole trader at the moment, so I'm not sure that this is something that I need to worry about straight away. But certainly anyone that can cultivate uh, people's creative and cre- creativity and initiative within a business, uh, the guy that will go that little bit of extra mile, even though it's not strictly speaking in their contract, that's important. If you can cultivate that, I think I have admiration. And also any CEO who doesn't treat the waiter properly in my businesses. I, I'm not impressed. Tell me, Ken, if you had followed your childhood dream job, what would you be doing now? I think I'm doing it now, to be honest. Uh, I, I, you know, assuming that this all goes well, we're we're in the early stages here. Um, I mean, I love teaching, and and I got the teaching bug actually in the army, believe it or not, because just before I left the army, I was promoted to into as an NCO. Um, and I was, and part of the job of an NCO is an instructor, military instructor. So I sort of got the teaching bug there, and I learned from very, very good 
instructors, quality instructors. Um, of course, I learned the military way, you know, which is, you know, has its has a certain idiosyncrasies, shall we say. But um, at the same time, I had a really, really good grounding in methods of instruction and all of that. So I got that bug there. And then I, I wanted to go then and teach as a teacher uh, and then go on into university. So I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the last decade or so of teaching in university. I'm just bringing this now uh, in an independent way. I'm moving away from an emphasis on the content, I suppose, you know, international politics and all of that kind of thing, to the process of teaching students how to learn themselves. Uh, that learning process that they, you know, that's not to say that they're completely unskilled in this, but there are definite gaps that I'm trying to, to, to fill as far as uh, getting young people ready for more independent and higher level learning. Um, because I do think that, you know, you, you know, you do research and stuff on, on a whole range of subjects that might not seem to be particularly relevant, you know, things like history or, or social studies or psychology or something like that. But it's the process of learning how to research. That becomes incredibly important. And go back to Mark Cuban's point again about <coughs> the people of the future need to know how to adapt and be flexible very, very quickly. And another great quote, one person I really admire is uh, Alvin Toffler. He wrote a book back in 1970, 1971, called Future Shock. And it's a very famous quote from this book. This is before the internet. This is before, you know, the advent of modern technology. We're just out of the space race and all the rest of it. But he said, the future will belong to those uh, who will learn how to learn. And he, he said, uh, the, tomorrow's illiterate will not be the people who cannot read or write. It will be the people who do not know how to learn themselves. So, so independent learning, that independent streak is what I'm trying to cultivate with Unihacker. So over your 13 and a half years in the Army and almost 10 years in Asia, combine that all together, what's the best bit of advice that you've got in that time that you'll take with you now as you set up your business? Um. Oh, I, I, I have a standard line. I was always asked it at, at orientations for students. Um, it's maybe something that's not really applicable to the army because it's not it's not something that's you know really well. It might be in certain circumstances, but basically my tagline was take control of your learning, take control of it because it is down to you at the end of the day. I suppose it's unavoidable in primary and secondary level learning but to a certain extent students are very spoon fed mm -hmm. you know they're, they're taken through a curriculum that's set for them there's a textbook they have to know certain things they've got to they've got to produce the goods at the end of the day and I think to a large extent I'm in agreement with the late Ken Robinson to some extent who did a brilliant TED talk a few years ago if anyone's interested in looking it up um, we tend to sap our young people's creativity and initiative and personal individual innate curiosity um, very often kids are not cultivated to be curious about the world around them they're told to, to know this and learn that and and we, we kill off one of the biggest assets we have as advanced primates which is our ability to be curious about why things are the way they are and that applies to all subjects especially the STEM subjects um, I think if we can young people to be curious about the subject matter. Now, we, we, there is an element of practicality here too. 
people are going to university so they can get professional careers. So they're going into programs where there are some subjects and some aspects of that program that, frankly speaking, do not inspire them to get up in the morning, okay? But even there, they should keep in mind the, 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 the overarching goal. The overarching goal is to get this qualification in order to be more employable. And if you want to be that employee who can excel and who can get promoted and can get the job that's that everybody else is competing for, then you have to demonstrate some skill sets that are beyond simply being a functionary. Okay? Um, demonstrating the ability to take the initiative, even within an organization, um, and there may be limited opportunity for that, but take the initiative, take control, certainly take control of your learning. By That's an absolute certain when you when you when you start your first year in university you should and i would hope if you take uni hacker courses okay overt plug there but okay but once you start taking uni hacker courses you'll realize just how far you can take things yourself you have a lot more latitude in university than you did in high school because the assessments that you're given in high school, maybe not so much the, the final exams, you know, the ones where you're supposed to sit down and regurgitate what you're supposed to know, but certainly the consequential assignments like term papers and research projects that you'll encounter, you've got the initiative there. Okay. And finally, Ken, what lies ahead for yourself and your business? Well, I'm hoping that uh, over time, I mean, uh, Unihacker's market is not Ireland alone. It is global because there are approximately 19 million students entering university every year in the United States alone. I think it's something like two or three million in the UK uh, in total, total students. So there's, there's a very big, and that's just in those two countries. So you can imagine, you know, there's a there's a very big market out there for young people. And there's a big proliferation in universities as well. Now, I think there's going to be a contraction there over the medium term because I think it, what's happened particularly in the United States is not really sustainable um, so Unihacker's uni growth is going to really depend on getting the word out and getting people to take the courses um, uh, you know and I would hope that in the medium to longer term that this is going to be a full full time thing for me and I, it is a full time thing for me now uh, certainly full-time over the last few months trying to get it off the ground and, and now the marketing stage now and developing more content. That's the big challenge for me as well is to bring more and more courses. I mean, I had considered waiting a little bit more and having more courses available, but I think that would have been a mistake if I created courses that were not really meeting student needs. And I'd rather get engaged with students now on a few courses, find out their their, their student needs and, and the kind of problems that they're having, and tailor the future courses to to that offering, or to, to those offerings, you know. Kenneth Houston, founder of Unihacker, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today on Business Matters. You're welcome, Kieran. Thanks very much. Well, that's our lot for this edition of Business Matters. Thanks to my guest, Ken Houston. Thanks to Kenneth Wilson on sound. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at 
www.letterkennyat.com. Business Matters in association with Letterkenny AT's Faculty of Business. Applications are now open for the highly regarded Masters in Leadership and Innovation in the Public Sector. Also a Masters in Governance, Compliance and Data Protection in Financial Services. And a Certificate in Online Dispute Management. Visit lyit.ie for more information.